The line in the story at CNBC today about how bear markets have a way of fooling you. They ain't done yet. Wonder Farron Dogs agrees with that. The CFP, the founder and CEO at Harrison Wallace Financial Group. Welcome back, Farron. How are you? Hey, John. I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. I, you know, you don't want to read good. too much into one day's trading. Yesterday was a <laughs> holiday, but we'd had a couple of good weeks there. What's your analysis of the markets overall today? We do. Well, I think the market, I mean, the Dow is definitely reacting to Goldman Sachs earnings, which came in, in quite terrible <laughs> for the company. And so there's a lot of reaction in there. But the S&P and the, the NASDAQ actually are not doing nearly nearly as bad. And I think a lot of that is being upheld with just kind of a mix of, mix of earnings. And I think that's what we're going to be looking at for the next couple of weeks. I would expect you know, a continued mixed bag of earnings. I think manufacturing will continue to be pretty strong. I think some of the supply chain uh, has come back into alignment, which increases the efficiencies. And, you know, energy prices have certainly come down from its peak in June of, of last year. And that, that certainly helps the entire transportation and delivery services as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I think retail, on the other hand, may, may struggle a little bit. You know, um, these higher interest rates, are hitting the consumer, even though consumer confidence still remains pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, you know, you are hearing more and more people are um, putting things on credit cards as opposed to to paying cash, cash for items, and and those higher interest rates will definitely uh, defer where that money is going because it'll go to uh, pay pay interest as opposed to for goods. So. You know, I think what the Federal Reserve is looking at, and I think the first couple of weeks here have really been um, driven by the fact that, oh, maybe we're going to have a recession, but it's not going to be that bad. You know, and I think there there may be some truth to that because the consumer still does continue to remain pretty strong. Unemployment is still pretty low. Um, but I don't think, you know, we're we're out of the woods on this by any stretch. I don't believe we've hit our bottom. Yeah. Uh, I think it's nice to see these relief rallies, certainly. And I think there are some good value out there. And, and I think we're starting to see some people, you know, pick pick up on that. So um, I, I think it's going to be you know, the next six months are still going to be pretty volatile, very driven by data and, and what the Fed might do. I'll ask you what some of those areas are that you think are value rich right now. But before you get to that, Bob Surratt's guest this morning said that he thinks the next Fed move will be just 25 basis points. Is that common knowledge now? Is that what everybody's expecting? I think it is. I think the market's pricing that into into the the scenario at this point. And a lot of that, I think, is because the, the Fed is seeing a, a, a deceleration, if you will, uh, in in inflation. And so even though food, for example, is still inflation has hit the food prices quite significantly, they're not going up as fast as they were, you know, in June, July and August. So we are actually seeing those prices start to come down. And I think the Fed is realizing that some of these lagging indicators um, are slowly catching up with their aggressive tightening that they did in 2022. So I, I would agree with that assessment. And I th- uh, my hope would be that they would pause after a 25 um, a 25 point increase, but um, I think they might have another one in them 
before they pause. Yeah, well, it's not three quarters, though, is it? So that's not bad. No, it's not. That's So that's a good news. Everybody was liking financials, and maybe they still are, but Goldman Sachs uh, is was it took seven percent cut today, and uh, yeah. it's, it's share price. Um, what areas do you like? Where do you think there's some real value right now? Well, I still think you know with with higher interest rates, you would you would normally think that the banks are going to be able to have a little slightly higher margins than what they've had over the last few years with such low interest rates. So. I think there could be some good opportunity in the financial sector. I do think you have to look at the the company itself, though, because, you know, what are the loans that they do have on the books? Are they risky loans? And, you know, what is the, the potential default on that? And I think that's what maybe hit Goldman harder than expected was the loan loss uh, that they had uh, this quarter. Um, but the other things is I, I do like – some of the the bigger tech. I still think that is real. You know, you look at some of the cybersecurity stocks or artificial intelligence, robotics, and, and even the the bigger names um, that have been beaten up pretty badly in 2022, gave, giving up 30 and sometimes 40 and 50 percent. Um, they still make good money. They still have great revenue streams, uh, solid products. And those are the types of things I think you need to look at. I'd stay away from speculation. You know, I, I think you need to look at a company that actually makes something and, and has a good good customer base uh, because on the manufacturing side, the orders are still solid. And I think there's, you know, good value mm-hmm. in those types of companies that, that have a have a, have a really solid product and a high demand product, and and I look at things like cybersecurity and I'm wondering how can how can these stocks be down you know thirty forty percent when we all need cybersecurity <laughs> you know we we're all going to need it and it's not going to be going away so I think now may be the time to start nibbling on those particular types of areas. Farron Dog CFP founder CEO Harrison Wallace Financial Group HarrisonWallace.com. Always interesting insight. Thanks, Farron. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it, John. Take care. Philip Weiss joins us now, the president of Seifarth at Work. Hi, Philip. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, John. You wrote about non-competes, which I'm certainly familiar with in my business. Are those common in, say, other work areas? Yeah, they are. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, the data varies, but up to 40 to 50 percent of employees likely uh, don't realize there's a non-compete clause in their employment contract if they have one, even in an industry that it is, is as widespread with as many different options as restaurants. Some estimates indicate up to one in six restaurant employees don't realize they probably are not permitted, technically speaking, to work in a very similar environment within a certain radius of uh, geographic space. So they are fairly common and it's really the threat of what a company could do if you work for a competitor uh, that is the, the biggest uh, aspect that employees are concerned about, rather than a whole bunch of lawsuits that we're seeing on the books. I could see if you were the executive chef at a restaurant, but if you're a waiter, waitress, uh, front of the room or back of the room, it seems to me like you ought to be able to work in any restaurant you want. What's, what's the harm there? Yeah, well, it's really uh, important insight. In fact, the reason that we're talking about this is earlier this month, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, has now proposed 
a basically almost a categorical ban, uh, industry-wide ban on these non-competes if it ends up becoming law. And the original goal uh, of President Biden when he uh, said, let's look at this need, was focused on the restaurant industry, which is kind of uh, eye-opening in a way. And it is very true that people working as a server, uh, as a line cook, should have that ability to move around. But we even had a situation where uh, one of our clients, so it was a pizzeria chain, and the owner had spent time, days and weeks, uh, training one of his uh, pizza chefs to spin the dough in the uh, fashion that uh, the uh, restaurant was known for. It was a huge draw for patrons. Once that uh, pizza maker learned his trade, he went to work for a local competitor. So it's very interesting because even in restaurants, there are moments where somebody's invested in an employee and really should be forced to deal with that person leaving with their skills and working for a competitor. Mm. Well, if I understand correctly, non-competes have been in place. They're legal, but the feds now have a proposed rule. You just alluded to this to make it illegal. So what is the status now? What is the status going forward for these things? Yeah, uh, what's really fascinating about this, John, is we've seen a trend among states to uh, start to ban these non-competes. So there's been some states like California who've banned them for uh, over 100 years. Uh, Illinois, in fact... Uh, restrict non-competes for people earning up to a certain amount of money. I think it's $75,000. So we do have these spot restrictions. What the government is saying is uh, these non-competes really harm people's ability to work elsewhere, to earn a living, and so we're going to try to ban them, as frankly, as much as we can. Now, we'll have to see, to your question, John, once this rule receives public comments, once it might get further defined, once it withstands potential legal challenges, how broad will it really be? But it is right now, as we speak in January and February, sending some chills down the spine of employers because they don't want to lose that investment. They don't want their secret sauce going to a competitor. So we'll have to see where the needle ends up falling. Is this the difference between Democrats and Republicans? I mean, it certainly has been a, uh, a uh, sort of a core principle of the Democratic Party to give employees more choice, more options. And what's fascinating about your question is non-competes are a great example of something that can be abused in either direction, meaning if an employee really is not loyal enough, is there as sort of almost like a uh, sort of a red flag double agent picking up information and going to work elsewhere, a non-compete serves a valuable purpose. But on the employer side, uh, there are cases where employers said, you know what, if you leave our employees a security guard and work for another company as a security guard, mm-hmm. there will be a potential penalty of up to $100,000. And many of those employees were minimum wage security guards. So there's been abuse on the employer side and on the employee side. So uh, this rule is a really a product of an interesting history yeah. where both groups need to be protected. Give me 30 seconds on I'm in sales. I take my whole client list and I walk to a competitor. Should I be able to do that? Will I be able to do that? Yeah, that's uh, enormously important, almost what you might call exception, because there are ways for employers, even with this non-compete rule in place, 
to protect their trade secrets, their customer lists, their formulas. That's why employers should double-check, do we have the copyrights, the trademarks, the non-disclosures, which in many cases will still be legal. So there's many steps employers should take, and your example is a great one of something that can be protected if you've, in fact, taken the right steps. That's Philip Weiss, President Seifarth at Work, S-E-Y-F-A-R-T-H at Work, SeifarthAtWork.com. He's the president there and always a good guest here. Thanks for your time, Philip. Thanks for having me, John. Went Trust Business Lunch, WGN Radio. John Williams here. Thanks for dialing in. Pete Zimmerman's the producer. We frequently visit with Jim Dalkey, the national editor at American Inno. You can read this stuff at ChicagoInno.com. Jim, welcome back to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. We've talked about Songfinch before. What's the latest here? Yeah, so Songfinch, a Chicago startup that lets you uh, purchase individualized songs. You connect with a real-life musician and kind of give them some information about the person you're writing a song for and or want to write a song for, and they'll put uh, some, some pen to paper and kind of create a unique tune for you. Um, the founders of that startup uh, actually are turning to venture investing. So uh, the, the four uh, founders of that company have launched their own VC fund where they will uh, in turn invest in other startups, uh, specifically in Chicago. Um, you know, it's one thing we've talked a lot about and written a lot about is that many founders in Chicago really struggle to raise that first check kind of compared to cities across the country. A lot of startup founders will tell us that, you know, getting that first $100,000, first $500,000 in the door is very, very difficult. And really what we've seen over, I would say, the last two or three years is a lot of, you know, current Chicago startup founders really take this into their own hands and make sure that they can kind of help the next generation of founders by investing in them directly. And so these uh, four startup founders out of Songfinch have created this new fund called Off Center Ventures, starting with just around a million dollars right now. So not a huge chunk of change, but really what they're trying to do is just kind of help be that first check, which is going to range from about $30,000 to $50,000, really kind of helping startups at the earliest stages. So, so far they've invested in one company, wrote a $25,000 check in a food startup called Entree, and they're going to help, uh, continue to invest in some other companies sort of working on the intersection of, of tech and entertainment, which is not surprising given the, the, the industry that they're currently operating in with Songfinch. So, It'll be curious to see kind of how uh, their venture fund continues to grow, but mm-hmm. clearly uh, they're really working to help get that first check in for a lot of founders. I wonder how these companies, I'm sure every company has a different answer to this, but if it's in this digital space, I wonder how these companies tend to use twenty-five dollars or $100,000. Is it uh, hire people to write code? Um, they're not turning out hardware necessarily, not usually. Um, I, wonder, I wonder where that money goes. Yeah, it's a good question. And depending on the type of business, right, it could be to help, you know, fund salaries for the, you know, your first batch of hires. It can go towards office space. Um, You know, if you're a consumer startup and you need to get the the word out, it can be used towards marketing. So it's kind of on a business by business situation. But clearly, those first early dollars are important as you're slowly starting to formulate a team and bring on new hires and kind of get the ball rolling there. And so it's hard to do that without you know, I'm raising that first chunk of change, and um, this is really what this venture fund is looking to do. What about this new company in Naperville that wants to replace paper business cards with QR codes? What's the story here? Yeah, this is a, a startup in town that's uh, called Huge, Y-U-J-J. And yeah, they want to eliminate the paper business cards with their new smart business card that allows you to take this sort of uh, card and tap it. Uh, to any smartphone and immediately upload your 
information to their phone. So all of your personal contact, your business contact information can be immediately um, transferred to the, that phone user's uh, contact information. And really what they're doing here is using NFC technology. This is near field communication. So just a tap of the card will get you everything uh, that person needs to know about you. And, you know, I think if you've ever been to a networking event and, mm-hmm. and you get home and your backpack is just full of loose business cards that you sort of maybe look at again and maybe uh, file into the Rolodex and whatnot. But really what YUJJU is looking to do is really kind of simplify that. And so um, they believe that they've kind of come up with a, a way better networking tool that helps you, you know, network a, a bit smarter. So will I have then a sort of digital Rolodex on my phone, an app, and they're all stored there? Maybe I could search by industry or name or something like that? That's right. So it's all going to upload into your phone's contacts. And um, they have some additional add-ons, too. So it gives you the ability to kind of customize different options, like linking to uh, the person's social media or website and kind of gives you uh, access to their calendar as well. If you want to immediately link up and create a meeting in person for later down the road, you can do that as well. And so, um, yeah, huge just getting off the ground here. So we'll kind of see if they how they continue to grow. But their goal is to have about a million cards in folks' hands uh, at the end of the year. Why, why did they call it Y-U-J-J? Is it because every other conceivable combination of letters has been taken in the world and that was the last option standing? Is that an acronym? What is Y-U-J-J? Do you know? <laughs> you know, that's a great question. I don't know. I do think that there is something to be said for that, that we are certainly running out of startup names. Um, I will say I do think that startup names are getting less silly, even though huge does sound kind of silly. Uh, we're seeing more uh, more vowels than we did maybe in the, the 2010 <laughs> era. So uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we're, I think we're coming back to normal in terms of our startup words. Go vowels. I wondered if it was sort of like some people – don't pronounce the H, and it's huge, baby. This is a huge idea. Let's uh, talk about another uh, biotech startup called, I don't know, how do you pronounce this one? (laughs) Yeah, this is Evozine, uh, biotech startup in town, really um, launched in 2020 and has quickly kind of become one of the most promising life sciences businesses in Chicago. They They are a molecular engineering startup that has designed and created its own synthetic proteins. Uh, it, the startup has a, a range of different p- potentially promising uses, and like creating an enzyme that can convert carbon, ener- carbon to energy or, and increase n- the nutritional value of food. Um, big opportunity here for Evozine, and they had a big splash hire last week. They named Mike Gamson as their new CEO. Gamson, um, for those who don't know, is probably one of the most um, – promising tech executives in Chicago. He came from LinkedIn, working here in the city, and took over for Relativity. He worked for several years. Relativity is a really large legal technology firm in Chicago. And Gamson um, is the kind of tech executive that really kind of had his pick of the litter of where he wants to go next and what he wants to do. He's a very active angel investor, invests in a lot of startups, so he's very well-known in town. I think the fact that he chose Evozine is a, is a big nod to the city's emerging biotech scene. Chicago has sort of lagged behind other markets across the country, certainly behind the Valley and certainly behind Boston, but even some other similarly sized cities like Philadelphia. Um, Chicago just kind of, frankly, has not had that momentum. Evozine is really one of those companies that's changing that, and the fact that they were able to land a really big hire, and Mike Gamson proves that there's really something here. So we're going to have to continue to see how Evozine continues to grow, but certainly this is a big uh, boost of confidence for, for what they're building there with Gamson at the helm.
Always fascinating to hear the stories of these innovative people walking amongst us. Jim Dalkey, the national editor at American Inno. Click on ChicagoInno.com. Okay, Jim, well done. Thanks for your time. Thanks, John. We've got more business news on the Wintrust Business Lunch with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. ComEd will ask state regulators for a delivery rate hike of more than $1.5 billion over four years. The proposed increase would take effect in 2024. According to a Cranes analysis, the rate hike would increase the average electric bill by about $4.25 a year. That works out to a nearly 18% increase over the four-year period. The average bill is now $93. In 2024 alone, ComEd's proposed $894 million delivery rate hike would be the biggest increase the utility has ever sought. The company says the increase is necessary to keep the electric grid reliable and resilient in northern Illinois as severe weather events become more common due to climate change. Advocate Healthcare is planning a new outpatient center in Lincoln Park. Plans for the $42 million center have been detailed in a filing with the Illinois Health Facilities and Services Review Board, which will approve or reject the project. The location is in the 1400 block of West Webster. The 41,000-square-foot facility will be in the shopping center that houses Barnes & Noble and Regal Cinema. The new Advocate Outpatient Center will offer primary care, specialty and intermediate care, plus physical therapy, lab and imaging services. The project, if approved, could be completed in 2025. I'm Steve Brzezanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Steve Alexander joins us now with the business of food. Thank you, and today we're talking about the business of food after the food goes into your mouth, as in... Chronic digestive conditions, things like GERD, irritable bowel syndrome, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, and more. And we'll talk about that after I tell you we're sponsored by the Chevy Silverado HD. Experience your life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. Okay, back to your belly. A Chicago company has created a digital platform to help people who suffer, and a lot of people do. They do. Uh, One in four Americans suffer from a chronic digestive condition. That's Bill Snyder, the CEO of Vivante Health, and his company is zeroing in on the more than 70 million Americans suffering from digestive health issues, even though a lot of us don't want to talk about it. It can be difficult to talk about what's going on in the bathroom, so uh, a lot of individuals are suffering in silence. And if you're having belly issues, you're not alone. He says we spend about $136 billion a year on it, far more than heart disease. So Vivante has created an app, an online program called GI Thrive. We do an intake, same type of questions that individuals would answer if they were walking into a leading GI clinic. And then we utilize the information to personalize a program for folks to help identify trigger foods that are causing inflammation and then really optimize their care based on behavior changes and then interactions with caregivers such as registered dietitians and health coaches. He says they'll also figure out what's going on in your gut with a mail-in fecal test, and Vivanti has developed an at-home hydrogen breath test. To diagnose things like lactose intolerance and fructose intolerance and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Uh, Sounding expensive? Uh, Maybe not. Uh, Our primary distribution is through employers and health plans. Cost of the program varies uh, by employer and by health plan. Okay. Does it work? You know, we see north of 86% of our users respond that they're now more empowered and have uh, felt their symptoms decrease after working with us for as little as 12 weeks. Is something that can be life-changing for folks. And on our website, you can find a link to GI Thrive. 
From the farm to your belly, today's National Hot Buttered Rum Day. And if you have a still, it's National Bootleggers Day. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. So the topic now is about home inspections, but not the kind that maybe you get done before you buy or sell a home, but maybe something on a more ongoing basis. Praful Matal joins us, the CEO of Win Home Inspection. Praful, it's John Williams. Welcome to WGN. Uh, John, good afternoon. Uh, thank you for uh, hosting me here. Tell me about your business. When did it start? And you guys uh, have a lot of locations, right? Uh, that is correct. So we began the wind journey, as we like to call it, back in 1993. And uh, we are very proud to be celebrating our 30th year this year. And uh, over this time, uh, we have expanded to 45 states uh, with over 270 locations. So who's the client? Is it a homeowner who's not necessarily selling their home? Uh, it's a great question, John. And I think, you know, there is a bit of a dichotomy, I would say, in our industry. If you look at the traditional model, and I would say that's how we also began our journey, is a, typically a client would be a home buyer uh, who's looking to purchase a home, and we get an opportunity to do a home inspection for them. However, increasingly, I would say to a certain extent driven by the pandemic, but I would say trends that we see as irreversible in this day and age, increasingly we are finding we are doing home inspections for homeowners. And, uh, you know, just to put things in perspective, uh, there are about 5 million home buys and sales transactions, as we call in our industry, annually at this stage. And when you look at how many households in the U.S., it's 130 million-plus households in the U.S. And out of that, 85 million-plus single-family detached homes. So there are a lot of people who have a number of uh, very interesting dynamics playing out here, uh, I would say particularly over the last couple of years uh, since the pandemic, because of which we are finding an increasing need and a desire on part of homeowners looking for what we call a home maintenance inspection or an HMI headwind. And I would get a home maintenance home maintenance inspection. So it sounds more like uh, a physical checkup for me every year for my body. Uh, this would just be you telling me, hey, here's something you should tend to in your home. Uh, you're spot on. It, it is exactly what the way you described it. I don't think I could have come up with a better <laughs> analogy. Um, and uh, I think the, the you know, what I think is not as well understood, which is what attracted me to win about four years ago, is what I think is not well understood is that a typical home inspection that we get done as part of buying a home does not cover many critical aspects that really can have a very significant impact on the quality of life and certainly on the wallet over time. What's, a, what's an so example? Give you, yeah, give me an example. Uh, great. Uh, so to give you one or, or maybe a few examples or one example is uh, the sewer line. So what is typically, what is a, uh, um, a, a miss, um, you know, people that don't understand, uh, you know, as, as clearly is the sewer line that goes from my house to the public main line is really my responsibility as a homeowner. So when we think about a sewer line, we tend to think it is the responsibility of the city or, uh, you know, uh, you know or, or, or the state. It is not. So it is really on my dime. Mm -hmm. And the number of issues that are caused by any breakage in the sewer line can be devastating. Uh, when was the last time any one of us may have had um, you know, backup in the basement 
of the sewage. And anytime there is a rainstorm, I live in Chicago, we have plenty of those yep. or, you know, yep. Uh, yep. or any sort of devastation caused by snow and a sewer line which has roots growing in it or any other debris can really back up. And a quick, efficient sewer line inspection can help diagnose those issues before they become the devastating issues that they tend to become. And also, it, it leads to health issues. It can lead to a lot of damage to the wall. Oh, no kidding. Parful Matal is on a phone line, the CEO of a business called Win Home Inspections. They inspect your home, say, on an annual basis. So then how does that work from a business standpoint? Do I pay an annual fee? Um, what's the charge? And do you guys do the work when you find that something is deficient? Um, it's a great question. So typically, we recommend a, a maintenance inspection once every three years. Now, depending on the condition of the house, depending on any number of dynamics, that, uh, uh, that frequency can be higher or lower. But typically, we recommend a home maintenance inspection every three years. And uh, depending on where somebody lives, so I'll give you an example. I live in Illinois, in Chicago. Here, we have a very high concentration of radon. But if you're in the Northwest or maybe on the West Coast, there is generally a perception that radon is not as high, which is true to a certain extent, even though radon is, um, is, is, is present in virtually every part yep. of the country. Yep. So if I'm in Illinois, I should definitely get a radon test done as part of my HMI, my home maintenance inspection. So a few things that we typically recommend as part of a home inspection, it could be your sewer line inspection, it could be inspecting for air quality, which may include radon, even though radon test is generally separate from an air quality inspection. And then also um, anybody who lives in non-dry areas, which I would say is most of the country, um, inspecting via infrared, inspecting any mo- for testing for any moisture in the drywalls can really help because that's where the mold grows when there is moisture that goes undetected. And then there are a bunch of appliances in our houses, HVAC appliances and so forth. So, so, so depending on the location, our home inspectors who are our franchise owners, we refer to them as our strategic partners, they really in a very consultative manner would make certain recommendations to what a homeowner may consider as part of their HMI, their home maintenance inspection. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. It's a business plan that now that you hear it, you go, oh, yeah, I should have thought of that. Praful Matal did, the CEO of Win Home Inspections. Their website is W-I-N-I, think Win and then I for inspections. So W-N-I, W-I-N-I. Praful, nice to talk to you. Thanks for visiting with us today. Uh, Thank you, John, for having me.